Welcome to America's Heroes Group podcast with information and resources that's disseminated intentionally to empower our military population with host Vietnam veteran Cliff Kelly, co-host Iraq veteran Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold, and co-host Army National Guard veteran Sean Claiborne. And now, America's Heroes Group podcast. Back to America's Heroes Group, this time with our roundtable Mental Health Matters with our partner NAMI, that is the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and this is NAMI Contra Costa in California. Today is Saturday, September 3rd, 2022. September is National Suicide Prevention and Hispanic Heritage Month. Our host is Cliff Kelly. I'm Sean Claiborne, the co-host. Our executive producer is Glenda Smith, and our digital media producer is Ivan Ortega of Scouts Honor Productions. And we have our panelists on the line with us is Phil Arnold. He was a voice intercept processing specialist with the United States Air Force Security Service. And as some of us know, they work with the National Security Agency, the NSA. He also, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, Phil, you're a veteran serving in Europe and the Middle East as a Russian interpreter. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. Okay. So we're going to talk about NAMI Costa Costa and what they're doing on the home front for vets and the program called Home Front for Vets out in California. What you guys are doing out there is amazing. So tell us more about it and also what do we need to know? Well, the program itself is designed by NAMI National, and what it is, it's a multi-part program that helps families understand that life interrupted is something that they can't get their arms around because it's the person that left them to go into the military and serve into the military was basically became became government property. Mm. And that may sound harsh, but uh, it's, when you say life, I say life interrupted, that means that these individuals, whether they were drafted back when I was or volunteered in, they had to learn how to do things all over again. And the first thing was, which was a humbling experience, is we're going to teach you how to walk. Well, I've been walking for 18 years. What do you mean you're going to teach me how to walk? We're going to teach you how to walk the government way, the right. Army way. Left, right, left, right. And I always take an informal poll now when I see people across the street, uh, okay, when they wait for the light, the light to change. Who starts, what man starts with his left foot? Mm. Somebody starts with their right foot to take their first step, probably hasn't served in the military, but that left foot, that left right is in the ingrained. Little things like you've got to go into the chow hall and you've got to learn how to eat in 10 minutes from the time you go in to the time you leave. It's like, well, no, it takes me about 20 minutes at home. You're not at home. And then when your drill instructor gets you and says, I'm your mama, I'm your daddy, I'm your brother, I'm your sister, I'm all those things combined, and you can't go home when you want to. Mm. And then there's things that are indelible that we understand that say when that person comes back home, they're not the same person that left. And that's the challenge because there's a huge delta. What? How do we build a bridge? And we build a bridge by listening. I talked to a 77-year-old 
female veteran the other day who served 20 years and then felt compelled to go into the prison system and serve those veterans who were reluctant to identify because of embarrassment. Wow. And help them with the transition, reentry. You have reentry for those that are incarcerated, but reentry for those coming back from Middle East, from Asia. There, there is no book for it because each one is different. Mama wants to hug you when you get home. My baby boy is home. Like, Mama, I ain't your baby boy. Mm-hmm. I'm your baby boy, but I'm not your baby boy. Uh, mm. I'm different now. Yeah. I smoke. I drink. And, uh, and so, how do you? So, how does a person when they have these like these ghosts of the military? And it's, and, it's, and what you you touched on something that I think every veteran can can identify with. And I mean, even if you just go, no matter what your service was, I remember when I came back mm-hmm. from AIT, it's like you're fish out of water. It's like and everybody has that that yeah. weird moment where that weird thing when you wake up and there's no there's no reverie when you wake up at four thirty in the morning. You wake up and then you're somewhere else. You're not in you're not in a barracks. You're not in some not in the field. You're just out. You're in. A room somewhere in the civilian world, and now you got to try to remember how to do stuff. And the first, your first instinct is to put on your PT uniform and go running or something like that, or do exercise. But mm-hmm. you, you don't have to. So it's and it's so so how so what's the so how do we? I mean, if it's, some people say, well, time heals all wounds, and eventually, kind of those things fade. But like you said, there's some of those that residue that doesn't go away. How do we better? How do, what kind of things can you offer us to try to help us adapt? Well, the first thing is to understand you are not alone. Hmm. You are not alone, and there's nothing wrong with you. And when people talk about PTSD, I had PTSD basically from birth birth as an African-American male because I was born suspicious. I might as well have been born with a couple of handcuffs on saying, okay, here's where you're going to end up. Hmm. And I'll just give you a couple of punctuation, punctuation points for me. I was born in 1946, and 23 short days after I was born in October of 1946, Disney released a movie called Song of the South. And that Song of the South was Uncle Remus, Brer Rabbit, Tar Baby, Mm -hmm. and everybody saying the plantation life was idyllic and it was wonderful. Everything is satisfactual. Mm. And it's like, uh, oh, Okay. And then when I got to the Middle East, I was treated by better by the people in Turkey than I was in my own home. Wow. And went, oh, because I look more like them, and they readily identified with me. The, when I was eight years old, the Brown versus Board of Education decision was passed. So I went from the comfort of my then-called colored school, where the teachers knew my parents and my grandparents, and that was traumatic when my mother said, Little Phil, you've got to go to the white school next year. And the white school greeted me with fists, spit, punches, mm. slurs. And for the year and a half, I prayed, Lord, if you exist, let me wake up white tomorrow so this nightmare will be over. Mm. And then by the time I was in the ninth grade, I was six foot two and about 210 pounds. And I found out that I could hit white boys and get my rid of this rage and anger on the football field. <laughs> and they would cheer me on. So I had an outlet for my rage and anger. But that was trauma. When I was nine years old, Emmett Till was murdered. Mm. And they were telling me, Phil, don't do anything at the new white school to get yourself lynched like Emmett Till. What nine-year-old wants to hear that? 
Don't punch the white boys back. What? Don't talk to the white girl. Okay, trauma. When I was nine years old, Rosa Parks. And I could see her on TV at night. Twelve years old, Ruby Bridges being escorted into school. Is that PTSD? For me, it's post-traumatic segregation disorder. Mm Mm-hmm. Because now I'm required to assimilate and play by some rules that, like I said, military is very similar. You have experiences. There's a picture of a young girl walking down the road with GIs behind her from the Vietnam era. She's got her arms out. She's completely naked because she had to take off the clothes that she had on Mm. because they were on fire. Can you say that I'm a tunnel rat and I go down with a 45 and a flashlight on those tunnels in Vietnam? Without coming back and saying anything that pops or cracks is gonna make me gonna make me jump. Okay, mm-hmm. drinks for twenty five cents. Well, I came out in nineteen sixty nine. Who wouldn't drink? Wow. Who wouldn't drink? Wow. In Turkey, kids kids came. Turkish kids came through the barracks. Grocery bag full full of weed. Weed weed. GI, you want to buy some weed? I'm like, no. How much? Twenty five cents. I'll try to get for 25 cents. Oh, the whole bag. Wow. Hmm. So it's going to help me get through this tour of duty? That mm. Vietnam is the most revolutionary war and most, to me, the most, to me, the most traumatic war of all the wars that we've ever, in my opinion, that we've ever faced, my humble historical opinion. I mean, looking at, I mean, granted, not to take anything away from any other war. And I know you guys also had a lot of, uh, uh, caught a lot of flack because when you came back, the reactions and a lot of the uh, a lot of the uh, feelings that people from the Vietnam era were facing as young men and women, the the World War II generation didn't understand. They couldn't relate to it. I mean, they looked down on right. you guys a lot of times. You know, it took that war to really because um, a lot of the experiences and horrors that those guys faced, they didn't talk about. And then another thing I want to tie in a connection to, which is a good and a blessing and a curse, is that the um, embrace of technology, particularly in healthcare, because. A lot of soldiers, a lot of soldiers that wouldn't have made it back home in World War II were making it back home in Vietnam. A lot of the soldiers that made it back home in, in uh, Afghanistan and Iraq would have never made it back home in Afghanistan because those injuries that they suffered on those battlefields were, were death sentences most of the time. Now, I mean, you can, I mean, guys are coming back with, you know, with you know, a quadriplegic. They're coming back with, you know, no eyes, no arms, no legs, and they're still alive. They can actually have artificial limbs and things. That technology has prolonged the life, but those, but those memories are still there. And those experiences are still there. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. That's what haunts me uh, on, on Veterans Day. So if veterans eat free, it's like... Okay, so are you going to pay for the Uber from the VA hospital where that brother has been sitting there now for nine years with no legs and no arm? Mm-hmm. You're going to pay for Uber to take him down to your restaurant and get him a free meal, or you're going to have it delivered? Oh no, we're not going to deliver. Okay, so as I indicated, I know that your mouth got to check your body can't catch. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, we love veterans. I said, what are you doing? My mother told me a mantra to live by. She said, when this thing happens with Brown versus Bordification, it's going to be the best thing ever happened to you because you're going to end up being forced to be bicultural. You will be comfortable in the black community, but your friends in the black community may not always be able to walk over with you to the white community. You'll be comfortable in the white community in the boardroom of America, 
but those friends may not be able to walk over with you to, so you'll have a foot in each camp. Mm. And that's uh, in, in the book, in the book, Spook Who Sat By The Door, it talks about a black man in America with a pair of green work pants and a green shirt and three light bulbs in his hand can walk into any boardroom in America so long as he's looking up at the ceiling. <laughs> and they'll continue talking, thinking he's nobody. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, you're, you're nobody. You're, you're, you're just, just the janitor, just the custodian. So oh. I learned to capitalize on that. I'm nobody. I'm just an old brother with a gray beard, harmless, probably unemployed, probably done some time and been formerly incarcerated. So what's the first step for veterans when they come back and they're trying to integrate back into society? What's the first the first realization that they should know? If, you, if someone were coming back, say, off, off a ship today, come back from Afghanistan or any tour, and they sat, mm-hmm. and they, and they sat down with you and you want to give them one piece of advice, what would that be? That come to terms with the fact that the person that you left as is completely different from the person that you came back. Your family cannot experience your experiences. They can experience you, and they're going to ask you the same old question. What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? And somebody asks you enough times, what's wrong? You're going to say, well, there must be something wrong because everybody's asking me what's wrong. And sometimes, in part of the language, you just say, I'm a, I smoke it, I've done that shit. Excuse me, my language, that's how we talked. That's how we talked when mm-hmm. we were in the box. So, you know, we didn't mince words because it could be our last word. Mm-hmm. You know, we wrote a blank check. And, and what did we get for it in return? Camp Lejeune. Okay, wow, well, get more Camp Lejeune ads going into our email now. Like, if you serve from 53 to 87, wow, okay. Mm-hmm. All right, my father-in-law, the, you see, and the, 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 the drop that I have back here, Tuskegee Airmen. And was your father he Tuskegee Airmen? My, my father-in-law, not my father. My okay. father was regular army. Okay. He, was, he was a first lieutenant, a duck commander. That's the amphibious vehicles. Okay, yeah. But the, the bomber group for the, for the Tuskegee Airmen never saw action because the morality of our country at the time was that you just can't see colored boys dropping bombs on white people in Europe. The Red Tails can defend the white bombers mm-hmm. okay, and sacrifice their lives so that their bombers flown by white boys won't get shot down. So it's all these things that come to turn, particularly for African-American veterans. That's why we have at NAMI, the African-American Uplift Program, to reach out to our kids to say, you're going to have polytraumas your entire life. It's embedded into our system. It's embedded into who we are. There's a hierarchy. There's a status quo. You know, you're this, you're that. You're defined by your stuff. Nope. Nope. My wife and I would talk. She said, what are you going to talk about? I'm going to talk about little things like when somebody says, got your six. If you know, if you've been in the military, you know what that means. Mm-hmm. Got your back. If you haven't, what, what do you mean? Got my six? Got my six? What? You got six of my what? <laughs> no, you got five on it. No, not that. I'm not talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you learn a new language. You learn how to walk. You learn how to talk. You learn how to dress. What do you mean dress? You learn how to dress, and you understand what it's like to have a foot locker turned over when the barrack comes in for inspection, and they measure and they get a tape measure out. 
and measure the distance between the toothpaste and your shaving cream. And they look at your razor and say, your razor is dirty. And then they flip it over. Mm-hmm. Do it right. And everybody else goes, mm. And then you discover what a sock party is. A sock party? Yeah, it's a sock party. Y'all got different kinds of socks that we can wear? No. no. That's, that bar, that's that bar of soap that goes in the sock, and they hold you down with your blanket, and everybody comes by and takes a whack at you. Hmm. I never knew people. I've heard of. I've heard of. Uh, I've never seen that happen in, in my experience, but I've heard that that was a common thing prior to my generation. I went, I went to the military right after Desert Storm because I graduated high school in '92. Okay. So, and I said so I was in from '92 to about 2000, 2001, actually, right before um, 9/11. Um, but so, so the the do you think? And this is the thing. I remember hearing stories from our first sergeant. I was in Fort Jackson, South Carolina, and he was telling me the things he had to do through his basic training. And I was in AIT at that time, but he was telling us this, like all this the crazy, like it was just these, but I mean things. It was like um, like a a marathon man type, you know, type uh, like obstacle course and just crazy stuff. Like you were literally, they literally were training you for like war for real. But then fast forward to the the, the Middle Eastern wars of today, and it, I mean I couldn't even imagine the type of grueling preparation being out in the, in the, and on your own in the wilderness as in basic training, not talking about advanced training, not talking about advanced infantry or anything like that. This basic training, mm-hmm. having to be out in the woods and fend for yourself to get out of basic training, you know, for three or four days or whatever, and having to, 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 to navigate a, 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 a training course. that's like 15 miles long on your own <laughs> and having a deadline you know what I'm saying? You know, at the end, other end of it. I mean, that's still, it's like, that's still like, what? And we're doing, we're complaining about this. <laughs> you know, we're complaining mm-hmm. about a 15 mile road march and like these guys got to do a whole <laughs> a 15 mile obstacle course and like life, uh, life uh, lessons learned, life strategies all about themselves. So do you think that we're getting softer as you see now? You know, I don't see guys having to polish their boots anymore. Uh, that's, that's an interesting question. I don't say softer, I say distracted. Hmm. Uh, I would say we're distracted by so much that is in the social media. And uh, I'll go back to my training because when I went into basic training, they, they, they always submit you to a battery of test uh, intelligence, test uh, aptitude for mechanical, uh, administrative, and a couple of others. And I scored high on it. And they said, we're going to send you to DLI. And I said, okay, what the heck is DLI? That's the Defense Language Institute run by the National Security Agency. And meanwhile, we're going to do a clearance background check on you while you're in in the school. And we'll cover six and a half years of college Russian in nine months. And you will come out and have a working vocabulary of about a sixth-grade student, but a technical vocabulary exhaustive enough to fly any Soviet aircraft in MiG-19, 17, 21, and the 23, which one that shot down the Mandrake by voice command, and also including the Soyuz space modules. So you used to listen to them from the Tbilisi control down the Kapustinar Peninsula and see how accurate they were with their missiles. So I'm like, okay, whoa, okay, whoa, whoa. And when I got home from language school, my father, first thing he said, whatever you did, admit it and get it over with. What do you mean admit it and get it over with? There's people crawling all over the neighborhood asking all kinds of questions about you. I said, mm-hmm. oh, they're doing my background check. He said, no. Not, not, not background check, you know, they just, you know, that's two or three references. Not the government way. Government way, they dig deep and want to find out if there's any connection, anything you've done that would prevent you from having a clearance that 
if you intercepted a message, could be on the president's desk in 37 seconds from anywhere in the world. Mm. How mm. much pressure is that to uh, to to? Do you have? Do you think about the pressure, or is there, is there any pressure on you when you when you when you're going through this? Because some people say, well, like I've, I mean, I've, I've heard of guys that are in silos, nuclear silos, for example, and it becomes routine because mm-hmm. nothing because you know there's not like there's a war every day. It's, I mean, there's no we're not launching nukes every day, so it so it gets into a routine like a fireman waiting in a fire station for a fire. Sometimes is it mm-hmm. is there pressure when you when you're going through that? Yes, you're pressured for accuracy. So mm-hmm. I'm sitting there and I got these tapes running. Recording it, and at the same time, I'm I'm taking Russian shorthand, jotting down for my analyst to take a look at and say what's going on. But after I got to Turkey, I, the city that I was in, a place called Trabzon, Turkey, 25 kilometers from the Soviet border on the Black Sea, at a listening post, uh, we're on top of a mountain, about a thousand foot mountain, and it was interesting to me because after I was there for about three weeks. We intercepted a message from the Russians, and they said, hey, Phil, you've arrived. I said, what do you mean I've arrived? Well, you've arrived. Everybody gets one of these. I said, what what, what is it? And they said, dear Sergeant Arnold, this is a a Russian message we intercepted. Dear Sergeant Arnold, welcome to Trabzon Air Station. We hope you enjoy your tour of duty. We know that your parents, Phil and Juanita, are very proud of you back in Cincinnati. This is from the Russians? We accepted from the Russians, yeah. I'm like, well, I can't say what I what I what I said. Right. <laughs> but I'm wow. Like, they know I'm here. They know I'm here. Wow. Well, yeah. They listen to us just like we listen to them. They know every move we're making. We know every move they're making. Wow. So you think? Do you think the and world's a safer place because of these types of operations? I, I think it is because. Nothing escapes now. The Vietnam era was measured in body bag count. You can watch the TV and say, here's the body bag count for this week. Okay, so we're going to send so many body bags, we're losing so many. Okay. Hmm. And that was just a, a flashpoint on TV. Flashpoint. Flashpoint. The war wages on. We were there, what, in 1955. 1955. So, what are wars measured in today compared to what they were measured in, in the past? And 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 to me, there seems like there's a technical, there's like a in technicality, there is an on. It's like it's ongoing now. It seems like the mm-hmm. this is just an extrapolation of the Cold War. I mean, what we're dealing with with with, uh, with um, Putin and what's going on in Ukraine and what's going on in the Middle East and you know with uh, different allies and trying to figure out who's our allies and who our who our enemies are. But then this thing called global commerce. It seems mm-hmm. to be the thing that keeps us all in check. Nobody wants to, you know, disrupt the paycheck that's flowing around the world. So China is kind of, you know, friends with us, but they're not friends with us. And then Russia's, you know, they're an enemy, but yet we do business with them. So what's what is what's the measurement, the metric today? That that I don't know. And my my primary occupation right now is grandfather. Okay, and I want to be the go-to person for them to understand the Lord gave you two ears and one mouth, and you should use them proportionally. Do more listening than you do talking. Okay, and I said, I will take you to Proverbs 18.6, which says a fool's mouth is his folly and deserves a beating. God didn't say punch him or give him the right hand of fellowship. God (laughs) said he understands how you're feeling. 
Okay. And I've given a couple of people a white hand fellowship over time, and that just comes with the territory of being in the military. <laughs> and, now, would, you, would you want your, uh, your grandkids to grow up and join the military? Would you recommend that? I advocate uh, bringing back the draft, yes. Okay. Now, why is that? Uh, why, the, why the draft? Because of kids to get away from home to see how truly blessed we are. You've been out of the country. Things that are craved for, like a stupid popsicle. <laughs> you know, this country doesn't have popsicles? <laughs> no, it doesn't. And the little things that you realize you had advantage for. I want a White Castle hamburger. Because mm-hmm. that'll cut my whiskey at about 2 o'clock in the morning. Mm. Mm. Okay. But I think that if kids can get out from under their neighborhood and see how blessed we are and take uh, do some self-introspection to say, it's going to be hard, it's going to be rough. So what? Mm. How many ways have I been discouraged? How many ways... If I come across the different things, you know, I'm going to my junior year in high school and 16th Street Baptist Church is bombed. Wow. And four little girls will kill. Daddy, will they do, can they do that? Yes, and they will, son. Mm-hmm. Like, wow. Medgar Evers was shot and murdered in his own driveway at home. Wow. On that note, Mr. Phil, Phil Arnold, that was a, it was a great conversation. We're running out of time, so we've got to wrap it up because we got Labor Day to celebrate, and also we got things we want to uh, discuss with, uh, with our audience. I really appreciate your time. Phil Arnold is a voice interpreter processing specialist at the United States Air Force Security Service who works with the NSA and also is the, uh, the, uh, works with NAMI, the, the Co- uh, Contra Costa in California, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And he talked about, and we're going to talk about a later time again in more detail, home fronts for vets to try to get information and make sure these vets come home safe and also with good guidance and also a good counsel. Thank you for your time, sir. You're more than welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. Appreciate it. My pleasure. So we want to give thanks to all the people that are listening today and also our global audience that are out there making sure that you know that we are America's Heroes Group. AmericasHD.org is our website. You can always reach out to us, and I even need that information. <laughs> so we have – you want to reach out to us, go to our – you can send us by a mail or a letter by one at 155 North Record Drive, Suite 4250, Chicago, Illinois, 60606. You can also reach us by phone at 312-803-2618. And then once again, don't be afraid to reach out and give us information on our website, americashg.org, and also see us on our YouTube channel. We have our YouTube channel, Search America's Heroes Group, where we can see some of the old shows, the archive shows, and also leave comments and let us know what you're thinking and also what we can do better. And also, we like to give thanks to our digital media producer, Ivan Ortega, for doing a great job, our executive producer, Glenda Smith, he was at home taking care of Vermont today, and we also have Justin, our today's st- our stand-in producer. He is doing a great job, and he has helped us out today. Give a hurrah to, to Justin, and a big hurrah to Jaden, our technical producer, Lady J, always keeping it on, on steady. This is America's Heroes Group. Happy Labor Day. Stay safe. Don't let off any loud noises. Think about your veterans that are out there that suffer from PTSD and also don't like to hear things that resemble gunshots. See you next week. Thank you for listening to America's Heroes Group podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And for more details, visit americashg.org.